Hallelujah. All we have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is our life. Father, thank you for making that possible. And that you sent your son Jesus into the world to save sinners, among whom we are foremost of all. And thank you for the fact that we have an opportunity even now to open up your word so that we might understand what it means to follow after you. Help us to apply your words from your precious word to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38 is the text we're going to be focusing on this morning. Many of you are familiar with George Mueller. George Mueller was a wonderful missionary, evangelist, pastor who ministered in the 1800s and died, I think, in the latter 1800s. Um, and for all of Mueller's accomplishments, he, people talk about his faith and his great devo- devotional prayer life and just being a man of the word and his ministry to orphans and um, just educating kids and youth um, in England at the time of his ministry. But what people often forget about Mueller is that he was once a kid and a young man. And Mueller was quite the wretched kid and young man. He lived a life of rebellion, a life of sin. He was very known for just his lying and his cheating. He was a man who used, a young man who used to steal a lot. Uh, had a, an addiction to gambling, uh, stealing even from his own parents. And the story is uh, told of how when he was 14 years old, even though his mom was on the verge of dying on her deathbed, Mueller was out, instead of caring for her, he was out gambling away more and more money with his friends. That was the extent of his wickedness and addiction. But then George Mueller had a collision with Jesus Christ. God saved George Mueller as a young man. He became a follower of Christ and a great evangelist. He became a devoted pastor and husband. And he and his wife ended up um, uh, uh, beginning a, a number of orphanages in England at the time. By a conservative count, it is estimated that by the time that George Mueller passed away, he and his wife had cared for over 10,000 orphans in England. They also had founded multiple schools where children and youth could receive an education, particularly a Christian education from a Christian perspective. And all of this they did, trusting in the Lord's provision, being people of prayer, knowing that God would provide for all of their labors and for all of these, this ministry to these young kids. What changed in Miller's life? Obviously, the Lord did an amazing miracle, even as the, consistent with the miracles that we just heard a little while ago, the baptism testimonies. But what was his perspective concerning his life? This is what he wrote about his life. Quote, There was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller, his, op- his opinions, his preferences, his tastes, and his will. Died to the world, its approval or censor, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends, and since then I have studied to show myself approved only to God. End quote. Mueller knew that he was no longer his own, that Jesus Christ, his Savior, his Lord, owned him. He was no longer his own. You know, that's the heart, those words that he articulated there, that's the heart of a Christian, of a follower of Christ, or at least it should be, the, 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 the cry of every Christian, every follower of Jesus. 
that we have died to self, and that we continue to die to self daily, as Luke puts it. That's how Luke puts it in Luke 9.23, that we are to take up our cross daily if we are followers of Jesus Christ. To become a follower of Christ is to have a new orientation. To become a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, is to be guided by a new governing principle. No longer do you live to exalt self, but you live to exalt Christ. Jesus is your life. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That Jesus is your life. Paul said this to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 24. For I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the grace of God. What a heart. What a heart to see Jesus exalted. And that was not the cry, beloved, of, of just an apostle. That's not the cry of, of pastors or missionaries in some foreign country. That is to be the, cry, the heart cry of every single Christian. That is not the heart cry of elite Christians. Those don't exist. There's no such thing as a committed follower and a non-committed follower. Every single Christian is to be about Christ and exalting Christ on this earth, making disciples, being about the Great Commission. That was Paul's hard attitude as he ministered. And this is what we began to see last week. That this is the kind of commitment that Jesus demands in verse 34. That if you are to follow Him, you must consider the cost of dying to yourself, taking up your cross daily, and continuing to follow the Lord Jesus in a lifelong commitment until He takes you home or He returns. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. This is the way of discipleship. From the moment of your conversion... And that becomes the way of life for every single Christian. If we wish to wear the crown of Christ someday, we must be willing to bear His cross. To follow after His example that He set for us. So this was the first of three considerations for those who wish to follow Christ. You must consider, from verse 34, the cost of following after Christ. And I want us to look at the second consideration this morning. If you wish to follow after Christ, if you wish to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you must consider the choice of following Jesus. Not only the cost, but your choice. You have a choice set before you this morning if you are not following after Jesus. There are implications for those of us who are believers this morning for what it means to continue to follow after Jesus. And just like the audience of Jesus' day here in our text had a choice at that moment from a human perspective of what they were going to do with the words of Jesus, so we too have a choice this morning as it pertains to following after Christ. And I love verses 35 through 38 here in this text. Because in verse 34, if you remember, Jesus has given this open and direct invitation to anyone who wishes to follow after Him. And now in verses 35 through 38, on the heels of that, He gives reasons why you and I should follow Him or continue to follow after Him. These reasons are signaled, if you will look with me, by four statements that each begin with the letter or the word for. Notice verse 35. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. 
Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Verse 37, for what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, namely Christ Himself, will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Those four, four statements expand and give reasons for following after Christ. Jesus wants His audience to carefully consider their choice. I love this. I'm amazed by this, what our Lord does here. How oftentimes have you, after you've instructed your, maybe one of your kids as a parent, little Timmy, um, throw the trash out, little Susie, make your bed, and what typically comes back from them? Why? Why? Right? And if you're like me, more often than not, over the years, my response, especially when my kids were little, was something like this, because I said so. Right? Because I said so. And of course, that's natural when they're little. You do want to just teach them to obey. But as your kids get older, you begin to give them reasons why they should listen. To help them think through their decision making and understand why they do what they do. That's natural as kids get bigger. Well, similarly, I think this is so gracious of our Lord here. He has every right to say, follow me because I say so. He could have ended the invitation in verse 34. And just ended it there. But the sense that you get from verses 35 to 38 is Jesus saying, Come, let us reason together. Let us consider logically your choice. Stop, pause, and weigh your options. That's the sense that you get from verses 35 to 38. Jesus wants his audience to consider carefully their choice. To stop, pause, and consider. Boy, we're not accustomed to doing that in our culture anymore, are we? I mean, we live in a fast-paced culture where we're constantly rushed, we're constantly busy, we're so distracted by so many things, and we have very little time to just pause, listen, and reflect. And so listen to me. In the light of, I think, the spirit of what our Lord does here in verses 35 through 38, to get the audience to consider their choice, my prayer for us this, leading into this morning has been that we would pause and really reflect upon what it means to follow after Jesus and the implications of who He is and what He has done for our life. That we would truly pause and reflect and consider, especially those of you who are here this morning who have not made a commitment to follow Jesus who've never turned from your sins from the heart and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Especially for you. You need to stop and listen to the words of Jesus here. Stop, pause, and pay attention to what He says. That's, I think, the spirit of what He's doing here. The Lord wants the multitudes to consider their choice. And the sense here is this. Why should you follow me? Verse 34. Verse 35, for or because whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You know what he's doing? He's giving the the rationale for why we should follow his and embrace his terms in verse 34. Why should we should drop our weapons against the holy God and follow after Jesus? It's logical. It's reasonable in the light of what he says in verse 35. And we need to appreciate how he does it. 
You see, our Lord is a master teacher, isn't He? And He knows humans better than every, any, anyone because He created each and every one of us. And so Jesus, as He says this, Jesus knows that self-preservation is a basic and fundamental desire and the quest of every single human being in this world. We want to protect and preserve ourselves. Just ask yourself this morning, why did you eat this morning? Why did you shower? Why do you exercise? Why do you ladies put on makeup? Why do you clothe yourselves? Right? Why do we do these things? Because of the fact that we want to preserve the self, don't we? That's why we do these things. It's part of taking care of ourselves. Isn't this why people are anxious to procure success in our world? People are anxious to procure wealth, possessions, materialism, prosperity. Why? They are seeking to preserve self. Why do we crave protection, safety, security? Self-preservation is a fundamental desire and quest for every human being. Just consider the current paranoia surrounding the spread of CDC, the coronavirus disease. Have you been driving around our city or maybe outside of our city, wherever you live? How many people are wearing face masks right now? Why are people doing that? They want to protect themselves, right? They want to protect themselves. Fundamental to every human being is the desire and quest for self-preservation, including each and every one of us. Isn't this why we spend our whole life procuring assets, gaining possessions, looking for pleasure in those things that God forbids? They're things that we, we're constantly pursuing and keep us awake at night because we want something more, because we think that, that whatever that is, it's going to gain us happiness here in this world. Jesus knows his creatures better than anyone. So in verse 35, he's appealing to this basic and fundamental desire and quest by essentially saying, you want to save your life? You want to control of your life you want to continue to pursue selfish ambitions selfish pursuits be about your agenda know that in the end you will surely and tragically lose your very life bank on it guaranteed this is god speaking to us if he says it it's true to lose your life in verse 35 means to perish to ruin to destroy your very life How tragic and how ironic, isn't it? We can spend our whole life thinking that we have control of our life, pursuing life apart from God, and in the end, you will actually, if you do that, lose the very thing you fought so hard against God to preserve, namely your life. Amazing. The Edmund Hebert writes, quote, A person who rejects Christ in the pursuit of self-preservation, will ultimately result in the destruction of his higher welfare. End quote. Amazing. Think about what he just said. Think about what he just said. We deceive ourselves into thinking that our pursuit of autonomy and control of our lives is where it's at. We are fixated upon the things of this world, the stuff of this world, because we think it's our higher welfare. These things will gain us happiness. But in the end, we are short-sighted aren't we short-sighted and earthly-minded because 
all of those things will pass away. You will not be able to take, when you die and you leave this earth, you will not be able to take one penny out of this world. Not one. We're so short-sighted as people. 1 John 2.17 says that the world is passing away. The world system around us, present tense, the world is present tense, passing away, and also its lusts or its evil desires. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. And we know that in that context, the one who does the will of God is the Christian, the person who turns from their sins and trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the person who does the will of God. Emptiness awaits those who reject Jesus and instead put a lot of stock on the stuff of this life. A therapist once asked his patient to make a list of all good things about his life in one column and all the bad things on another column. Under the good column, he wrote, professionally successful, the perfect job, great wealth, okay marriage, kids successfully launched into their adult and professional life, nice house, great cars, as many holiday vacations as I want, a great bank account and retirement set aside, etc. There was more stuff on the list. Then on the other column, under the bad things, he writes, miserable and unhappy most of the time, if not all of the time. Boy, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? That pretty much sums it up. Jesus says, think about it. Consider your real, deep, greater, long-term well-being. Look for the greater, lasting, eternal preservation. In fact, look at what he says in verse 35. By contrast, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. He's saying the same thing he said in verse 34 in different words, that those who lose their life by denying themselves, taking up their cross, that is embracing ongoing shame and difference, ostracism, potentially even physical death for the sake of Christ and the gospel and follow after him, those will ultimately save their life. Those will ultimately be in his presence. What's the point? You win by relinquishing self. Personal autonomy, self-rule. You win your life, eternally speaking, by losing your life on earth for the sake of Christ. Notice verse 35, for my sake and the gospels. That's a kingdom-minded perspective, isn't it? That's a kingdom-minded perspective. That's the, the perspective that has driven many amazing brothers and sisters in Christ who have been missionaries to foreign countries. This kingdom-minded perspective that nothing was more valuable to them in this world than to spend their whole lives about Christ and making Christ the center of their life. Like Jim Elliot, who understood what Jesus was saying here. His desire was to reach the Huarani Indians in the jungles of South America only to be speared to death by the people there. And many people told Jim Elliot in preparation for that trip and along with his other brothers that he took with him, don't do it. You're a promising young man. You have a lot, on, you have a lot, a lot, a lot of promising stuff happening here in America for your future. Don't do it, Jim. And he still did it. That He goes with his brothers to this foreign place and they get massacred. And even then... People under their breath, what a waste, they said. What a waste, this could have been avoided. Yes, what a waste if your standard of measure is comfort, ease, and security, right? 
But if you're a kingdom-minded Christian, if you're a genuine follower of Christ, it was absolutely worth it, wasn't it? It paved the way, what these men did, paved the way for others to go and take the gospel to these people who needed to hear the good news of the person and the work of Christ. And there were people who came to know Jesus, who passed from death to life. And God used Jim Elliot and those brothers who were massacred to pave the way for that to happen. Talk about a kingdom-minded perspective. What causes Christians to live and make choices like this? It's a mindset that is eternal, isn't it? Here's what Jim Elliot said about his life. He said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. I love that. He is no fool who gives up, namely his physical life, who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose, his eternal life. That was the heart of Jim Elliot. The Apostle Paul, another follower of Christ just like us, put it this way in Philippians 1.21. He said, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. Why? Why? Even in the worst case scenario, Paul says, even if I physically die, I'm going to go into the very presence of my Savior. It's a win-win thing. Here on earth, he sustains me. It's all about Jesus, his spirit living inside of me, allowing me to do everything that I do to serve him. And if I die by way of persecution, I go right into his presence, win-win for the believer, for the Christian. St. Clair Ferguson writes this, If living is not Christ, then you are merely existing. And to merely exist without Jesus is to waste your very life. I love that. If living is not Christ, then dying won't be gain for us, beloved. If living is not Christ, then dying won't be gain. Won't, won't be gain. There are some of you in here who simply won't commit your life to Christ. And you think to yourself, you know, I don't want to give up my selfish pursuits. To follow after Jesus is loss of freedom. I want the choice to be able to live according to how I want to live. Listen to me. If you are not following Jesus, and Jesus is not Savior and Lord of your life, you are not free. You're a slave to yourself and a slave to your own sin. You are not free. Don't be duped and deceived into thinking that you are free. It's all about you. It's all about your sin. And so what Jesus is saying here is, in the midst of those things that keep you from me, of autonomy and clinging of control of your life, one day, if you don't repent, you will lose the very thing that you are seeking to protect and preserve, the most precious thing, namely your life. And so think about it. In the final assessment here, Jesus is looking after our greater well-being, isn't he? Getting us to think, lose yourself for me, and I will preserve the most precious thing to you, your life. That's why he came, to die for sinners on the cross. Now notice how he further expands on this in verses 36 and 37. And he does so by asking two rhetorical questions. Look at verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In verse 37, for what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
We know the answer to these questions, but he's asking these questions to get people to think, to consider what's at stake if they do not choose to follow after him in response to his invitation to verse 34. Consider, think. The first rhetorical question in verse 36, notice, builds on verse 35. In verse 35, Jesus has just asserted that if you seek to save your life, spend your life pursuing the selfish wants, uh, your selfish wants, you will ultimately lose your life. And now in verse 36, he expands on this line of thinking. And he says, What or for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It's an argument from the world of business, isn't it? From the world of financial transactions, of profit and loss. Suppose, says the master teacher, suppose, oh, it's it's humanly impossible, of course, but just for the sake of argument, suppose that you spent your whole life, all of your efforts, on gaining the whole world, and you actually achieved it. That you actually came to the point where you owned the whole world. Of what profit would it be if you forfeited your own soul? If you lost your soul? And then he asks, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul is priceless. There's nothing that you can earn in this world. No possessions, money that can be used as an exchange for your soul if you reject Jesus Christ. Can I ask you this morning, what is that thing or things that you desire most that keep you from Jesus? Consider for a moment those things. What is holding you back from following after Jesus? Possessions? A person? What about money? Riches? Success? Fame, accolades from other people, that other people will respect you, that you're a successful person. What Jesus is saying here, whatever those things are, what will it profit if you gained those things, including owning the whole world, and you forfeit your soul? There's nothing you can pay to God in exchange for your soul. Wow. Even if you had unlimited resources... Your soul is priceless, immeasurable, irreplaceable. You cannot buy your soul. It's the most precious possession. It's a lie from hell when the world says that there's nothing money can't buy. Money can't buy the life of a lost loved one. Money can't buy back your very life. And we forget about this, don't we? We become so earthly-minded, and from time to time we need reminders from the Lord, like the very recent death of the very famous Kobe Bryant. Of the precious value of human life. You know, Paul Allen, co-founder of Microsoft, died in 2018. You know what his net worth was? Net worth 20.3 billion dollars 20.3 billion dollars he couldn't take one of the one dollar beloved after his death with him not one buck you can spend your whole life pursuing those things and losing your soul what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul for what will a man give 
in exchange for his soul. What's holding you back this morning from following after Christ? What are those personal selfish ambitions that are, that are keeping you back from, from transferring trust from self to Jesus Christ? The only way and the truth and the life. The one who came to earth to live the perfect life that you could never live. To die on the cross to pay for sins and rose from the dead conquering sin and death. He is the one who has come to make provision for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be reconciled to your maker and live out your purpose, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why God created you. Sin keeps you from that. Living life for self keeps you from fulfilling the purpose of glorifying your creator and enjoying him forever. Put your trust in Christ this morning. Don't let anything, any pursuit in this world which will pass away keep you from resolving to follow after Jesus Christ this morning. We've considered the cost and the choice of following Christ. Thirdly, let me encourage us to consider the consequences of not following Christ. The consequences of not following Christ in verse 38. The final four there in verse 38 now connects the demands of Jesus to the final judgment when one day every single person born into this world will give an account and answer to the one making the demands. And notice how personal this is. Why should we give heed to the call to follow after Jesus? Look at verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. To be ashamed there means, most specifically, to not follow Christ. To reject Jesus' call to follow after Him in verse 34. And notice the contrast. On the one hand, if you are ashamed of Christ by not following after Him, but instead following after, notice in verse 38, an adulterous and sinful generation... You can settle for lesser glory and follow after a people characterized by spiritual unfaithfulness, spiritual depravity, rebellious moral rejection against God. You can choose to do that. Jesus says, one day I'm going to be ashamed of you. Or, here's the contrast. Here's the wise option. Here's the reasonable, logical option, if you will. You can follow Christ, the Son of Man, who will one day come, notice in verse 38, in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. I love this. Did He have to mention glory? Did He have to mention holy angels? There is a greater glory that a temporal, self-centered life cannot earn you, no matter how much you pursue this life. That only Christ can bring, only Jesus can give you the greater glory, right? He ushers that in. Will you give your life to Christ? Which one will you choose? One is illogical, irrational, foolish, that of holding to control of your life and being ashamed of Christ. The other is wise. You're looking after Christ's glory and your greater well-being. Which will you choose? If you're ashamed of Christ by rejecting his call to follow him, trying to cling to control of your life, ultimately you will forfeit your soul, eternally speaking. 
Hebert, Hebert writes this, listen. The one who now disowns Christ in shame shall then be disowned in shame. The supreme paradox is that this lowly one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who confronts men with the choice between the authentic life of discipleship and the inauthentic existence of self-concern, will occupy the place of power and glory with God in God's final judgment of the world. Christ will find, will find it morally impossible to own such a one as his disciple, end quote. So Jesus is talking here about the consequences rendered on judgment day. And by the way, as a side note, may I encourage us, even this year that we're really focusing on fostering a greater culture of evangelism here in our church, as you share Christ with people and you share about his person and his work, which is the, the good news, what he, who he is and what he's done, you need to also call people to recognize that there are consequences for the decision that they make from a human perspective. That's what our Lord is doing here. Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. A day of divine reckoning is coming. And Jesus will no longer come as the gentle lamb who died on the cross to secure forgiveness of sins. He's going to come as a lion who will crush his enemies and spill the blood of those who have rejected his provision for the forgiveness of sins on the cross. Every single one of us this morning needs to hear this. And especially those of you who continually put a lot of stock in the things of this world, pursuing a self-centered living, not living for the glory of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you need to hear there are consequences coming one day when Jesus returns for you rejecting God's provision for the forgiveness of your sins found in Jesus Christ. Judgment day is coming. Hell and heaven are real. There is a heaven where we will eternally be enjoying the presence of God forever and ever and ever. I cannot uh, uh, wait for that time. And there is a hell, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where you will experience pain, eternally speaking, because of the rejection of God's provision in Christ. People will not go to hell someday because they were great sinners, because they committed the unpardonable sin here in this world. Listen to me, the unpardonable sin is rejecting the Spirit's witness concerning the person and the work of Jesus as Redeemer, as Savior. That is the unpardonable sin in the presence of God. That you reject Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Judgment day is coming. Can I ask you this morning, if you are not a follower of Christ, where will you spend eternity? You need to take this seriously. Your soul is the most precious, most valuable thing. Jesus, so valuable that Jesus, God in human flesh, came to the world to die on the cross to pay for your sins. So that by trusting in him, you can be saved. You can receive forgiveness. You can be reconciled to your maker. That's how precious your soul is. This is how much Jesus loves sinners. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, say it with me, beloved, Christ died for us. Such is Christ's love. God is calling you this morning through his word to turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Alone, by the way, for there is no other way to be saved. And for we who are followers, who are trusting in Christ alone, 
And I encourage us to remember today that following Christ also brings reward, doesn't it? I mean, just look at the text. This passage tells us that those who lose their lives for Christ will gain them. We're already experiencing the beautiful fruit of that in this life, aren't we? Even though things are difficult many times and there are struggles with our own sin and we see the stuff going on in the world around us, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We don't go through anything apart from our high priest Christ. Amen? We're experiencing that. For those of us who are not ashamed of him, we can rest assured that he won't be ashamed of us when he returns. Listen to Sinclair Ferguson. Following the crucified Christ means following the conquering Christ who will share with all his people the blessings of his conquest. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, let us live in the light of Colossians 3 verse 1. I close with with that passage. Colossians 3 and verse 1. Christian believer, set your mind on the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Amen? Come, Lord Jesus. Father God, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the amazing invitation from our Lord Jesus this morning that has implications even for us who are following Christ. Help us to not live a self-centered life. Help us to pick up our cross, take up our cross daily, following the pattern of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who lived his life giving himself for the good of others. Help us to do the same, Father. And I pray for those who do not know Christ this morning, that, Lord, today they would confess Jesus as Lord as Tatiana even encouraged us from up front, that if you confess Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. Father, may they do this from the heart, recognizing their sin against the holy God, putting their trust in the only one that can save them, Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.